Ladies and gents, boys and girls, it's time for the Eric Min episode of Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. If you don't know him, Eric is the Chief Executive Officer, or CEO, and co-founder of Zwift, an indoor cycling platform that you're probably very familiar with. With a background at JP Morgan, he's clearly a very astute business person and entrepreneur. But did you know, he also has a very competitive bike racing background and even had ambitions of turning pro. Yes, he was pretty handy. Now, we talk about that as well as his puppy, his move to the beautiful Cotswolds and his rediscovery of the joys of riding outdoors. The RQG, the random question generator, is also back and the sole quiz does not disappoint. So, jump on your sofa or your static trainer, relax or get working and enjoy the pod. Or don't. It's really up to you. Hello and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. Matt Stevens unplugged by Sigma Sports. Zwift is an indoor cycling platform with a firm focus on the online riding community. The chances are you're familiar with it, but you might not know too much about Eric Min, the man behind it, the company's CEO and co-founder. Eric was born in Seoul, South Korea, but left for the USA as a kid. Now, whilst growing up in the States, he began racing bikes and got hooked on the sport we all love. Now he's delivering an alternative, augmented version of cycling, which acts to complement real-world riding in so many different ways. I was keen to find out more about Eric's story and his plans for Zwift in the future. Plus, I wanted to pass on the back for all the hard work I put in to researching Seoul in the hometown quiz. Check it out. Well, Eric, first and foremost, mate, thank you very much indeed for coming on Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Great stuff, mate. Oh, could you tell us, first things first, Eric, if you wouldn't mind, what I do ask all of my guests before we actually start getting into the meat and bones of the chat is, could you describe where in the world you are and also what you can see immediately around you, just so we can get a real sense of kind of exactly where you are. So I am in the Cotswolds, oh, where beautiful. I moved back in December. Um, out my window, I see a nice view of the valley and tulips, fielded tulips. So, uh, and, and it's sunny, so perfect. Um, yeah, I, it, uh, I chose to move out here during the pandemic, um, and uh, but I'm starting to venture back into the city um, now that things are reopening. I mean, I've, I've, I've obviously follow you on on social media, and you've been posting some really lovely pictures. It reminds me of David Hockney just looking out of his window and painting different scenes, yeah. but of the same view. But say so the other day it was like snow, and then you posted one the day after. I mean, you clearly do love this country living. You, you seem to have kind of really adapted to it quite quickly. You know, I'm a city boy, in and out. I mean, yeah. I grew up in New York City. I've been in London for, I think, about 18 years now. And so uh, the thought of moving to the countryside was so foreign to me. But now that I'm here, it's just, it's it's so peaceful. Um, and um, I've rediscovered outdoor riding again. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is great. I mean, the, uh, the roads up here are, are just incredible. Um, so yeah, no, what's not to like, I can get everything from Amazon. Um, I have all the conveniences here, but I also have the space and, and, and the fresh air. So it, it is, it is a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. I don't know if you know, you might, you might know actually, um, there's a, a bike race back in the started in the 1950s, I think the late 1950s. Um, and it ended 
kind of early early noughties. It was a bike race called Tour of the Cotswolds. Which oh, is that right? Yeah, which started and finished in Gloucester. Gloucester. So basically started in Gloucester, in the park, okay. went out through just, and it was one of the only races in the UK that was essentially one big loop, not lots of laps, and it covered all the big, the, the major climbs. Um, and the Cotswolds, when I was a kid, living in North London, we used to come on hostel trips, and a lot of my training rides in the 1980s were in the Cotswolds because it was so quiet and so yeah. beautiful. It really is a special place, mate, isn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I did a 100K ride the other the other week, and I was never more than about 10 or 12 miles away from home. Wow. It's, it's, and the roads are just fantastic. Of course, you have to find all the country roads, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I, I haven't enjoyed outdoor riding in some time, so it's great to be able to mix it up, uh, both indoors and outdoors. Have you, I know you're a man of schedules, obviously working with, with Nat, working on uh, getting you on the show. Have you managed to squeeze in a Zwift session or an outdoor session this morning? Because it's, it's only 10.30 and I know you're up early generally. <laughs> no, it's funny. Uh, absolutely. I got an hour in and, um, you know, I was so annoyed yesterday because I was planning to do a workout first thing in the morning to get out of the way. Missed that. Then I figured I'd try to squeeze in during lunch. Missed that. Then before dinner, missed that. After dinner, forget it. And so I, a whole day went by working from home and I could not find an hour. So wow. today I managed to do that. Um, and, you know, I have, you know, Kristen Armstrong sending me some workouts and uh, thank God she sent me an easy one today. <laughs> That's right. Those are the best workouts, the easy ones. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the thing is when it's somebody else giving you. I've not been coached for years, but I do know when it's somebody else telling you what to do. It's quite. It's kind of. It's hard work, but it's quite freeing because it takes the mental pressure off. It's just right. I just got to do this. You, you, yeah. do, you, do you clearly like being instructed in that way? You know, I I do. I, it definitely takes the 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 mental strain out of like figuring out what to do you just go on and and do it right now it doesn't mean you're going to feel great right i've i've had some failed workouts too but you don't have to overthink it which is yeah. uh, which been which has been helpful but it, it's been great with Kristen because she knows so much about Zwift she's having me mix it up with like tour of Autopia you know yeah. i can do some crits and actually like for someone who's coaching me i only do like two structure workouts the rest right. are you know, I can achieve it through through other uh, you know outdoor riding now. Um, so it's been really good to mix it up. That's cool. Any chance in the future? I mean, I don't know if you have of joining the Zwift HQ Rockets on the Team Time Trial, mate. Because um, I, I have guested on one of those, and boy, that was oh, an experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I I thought well, I'll try season two, and season two rolls by, and now it's season three. I miss that. Uh, the the trouble is, like, I just don't know if I can commit to the the time i guess yeah i don't have to join all of them right i could just join you can drop in just as a guest yeah. just as a cheeky guest uh, yeah i might i might have to do that but uh yeah maybe i you know once i get into shape <laughs> I'll do, <laughs> jump into those but uh it, it seems like uh it's been a hit yeah no definitely i mean before we move on to kind of looking a little bit about your past mm -hmm. and kind of what led you to where you are today eric how's the how's the how's the puppy settling in at home the puppy, uh, you know, it's been great. <laughs> the puppy, yeah, I've got three teenagers, and and this one is the easiest one to take care of. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair five enough. five months old, but you know, it gets me up at six thirty every morning. Um, it, I I'm on a routine because of my puppy. <laughs> right. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff, mate. Well, 
let's go back in time, mate. Now, before being obviously the CEO of Zwift, VP at JP Morgan, and then you had you know your own tech company at Saconet. Take us right back to when you were a bike race, and even before then, what's yeah. what's your first memory, Eric, of of getting on a bike and enjoying it and thinking, mm, this is something I kind of want to do. Yeah, the first bike I had was uh, when I moved to New Jersey back in 74. Okay. And uh, my uncle had bought this beautiful orange, you know, bike with a banana seat, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I know the ones you mean, yeah. <laughs> the easy rider. <laughs> that I have a picture of that when I was like seven years old. That was my first bike. And, and um and then I didn't really do much with the bike till I, you know, in high school when a friend of mine, a classmate of mine had a bike and he was going on a touring trip. Um, back then there was something called the um, American Youth Hostel, AYH, and okay. they go on bike tours. And um, that's when I got introduced to, to, to biking again. Um, and the idea, and this is before I had a driver's license, right? right. That, that really like a form of a freedom. And so I wanted to do everything that my friend was doing. Um, I wanted to get the same exact size bike as him. And yeah. bear in mind, he was several inches taller than me. I, I think I bought a 56 centimeter bike. So <laughs> I, I ride a 49 right now. So this, I was 14 years old and riding a 56 centimeter. It was strange though. I mean, I, I remember being a kid though. It, the, the bigger the bike, the kind of tougher you kind of were. So everybody's aim was to ride a really big bike. Yeah. No kind of sense of it being the right size. It was just no. a big bike. You're a cool kid if you can ride a big bike, basically, wasn't it? Exactly. <laughs> and I, I couldn't fit into a 56 now, right, after many years. But that's when I got introduced to, um, you know, social riding. I got connected to a local club. Um, I started training with them. They introduced me to, to bike races in, in the Northeast took me to bike races. I didn't have a driver's license. And that's when I just got the bug. Yeah. Um, and the sense of, first of all, holding, hanging out with older kids, yeah. going to races, uh, being chaperoned to races, really, and training with them. I got sucked into this whole bike cycling culture at a pretty young age. Um, and I have to say that that's live with, like, that's part of my DNA now. Yeah. And this is, you know, uh, and I, I did race competitively for, for a few years as a large as a junior. Um, it took me all over the U.S. Um, and that was that was a great time. Um, went to the Olympic training, training center one winter and realized, you know, I, I, I'm just not gifted enough. Um, and I don't want to suffer uh, and make the kind of commitment that some of these other guys are doing. And that's when I decided, you know, I'd better think of a different career because you know you as a kid you have illusions of becoming a full-time cyclist i mean i was kind of living and breathing that for probably two or three years but many of my friends went on to become professionals olympians world champions and it's great to to stay uh, have stayed connected with them and so i never really left the cycling industry i was just more of a you know participant and passenger um, than and you know a competitive cyclist. Um, I'm I'm, lo I'm looking at a picture here, Eric, on your Instagram, which you posted <clears throat> um, back end of last year, December the 29th. You posted it, and it said, "When I used to dream of being a bike racer, my first year as a senior." And there's a wonderful picture of you with this kind of old school white helmet on, <clears throat> with a, a yellow and blue jersey. It looks like you're winning a bunch of sprints, actually. Are you? Um, <laughs> 
So, so talk to him about that day because these little snapshots, it's lovely. I, I just love when I speak to people, um, just looking back and just taking these little snapshots and bringing them alive. So, yeah. so, so where, where was that and, uh, and, and how did you fare in that race? Because it's a cracking picture, isn't it? Yeah, so I wrote for, uh, as a first year senior, I wrote for a team called Chemical Bank, which was a nationally funded uh, a team. And I, it was a race in Middletown, Connecticut. Um, it was uh, Andy Raymond Firecracker, you know, 4th of July criterium. It was, I think, 100 degrees that day. Wow. Super hot. Okay. Um, and I had, uh, so I showed up with my teammates and Richard Sachs, which was like the fastest team in the Northeast back then, um, had a, um, had a whole team they had the sprinter lined up and they had the train going for the last lap. I latched onto that train and snuck in and you could see there are like five Richard Sachs guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I snuck in on that train and, and got a nice ride to the, to the finish. And <laughs> I just had a better kick than those guys, but those guys were really good. So that was, uh, Paul Curley, uh, was the guy who finished second and he's like, you know, multiple national champion at, 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 at um, cyclocross, I think. Um, so that was, that was fun to have won that race and brings back great memories of, of of uh, bike racing back in the 80s and you know i don't know what it was like in the uk but 80s were the golden years i was going to so ask the- you that eric yeah i mean I, I, obviously we're a similar age a couple of years just between us and and the 80s in the uk uh, for the pro scene was was good they were kind of halcyon days you we didn't have that many pros riding abroad there were a few obviously like robert miller sean kelly um but but we we had a really burgeoning professional scene, a lot of crits, very much like the states. Oh, yeah, I remember, I remember that. Yeah, know, yeah. Um, about <laughs> but uh, but clearly back then, I mean, obviously a lot of people from a cultural reference point of view will think about the film American Flyers and stuff. But when you look at, we had the Tour de Trump, didn't you? Uh, for for example, yeah. that the Cause Classic, um, it was a pretty cool scene in the eighties, wasn't it? It was awesome, and it, it you know it helped that we had Greg Lamond, yep. right? And I was tracking him in 1982, and he had, you know, he had single-handedly beat the Russians at the Course Classic the year, uh, you know, the year after they had uh, boycotted the 1980 Olympics. So, of course, yeah. Um, and and Bern- my first exposure to European racing was, I think, in 1981. I lo- I caught the last stage of of the Tour de France where Bernard Hinault won the final stage. Remember that? In, oh. in the- uh, yeah, it's it's the I think it's the only time anybody's won a bunch sprint in the yellow jersey, isn't it? In the toy, so it's a really classic picture, isn't it? Yeah, and he got. A, I remember reading about this. He, he got a hard uh, time by the press because he hadn't won any stages, so he decided to win the final stage in the yellow. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first exposure to to bike racing in Europe. Uh, so this was even before I I got into bike racing in general. Right. But um, so that was back in. 81 and 82, I guess, is when I started to, to do like junior racing. But yeah, those those years are just, it just bring back bring so many fond memories. Um, and, uh, you know, back then I had to wait like a month to get a Euro like magazine. We had to wait a month. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so times have changed. I mean, it, it just goes to show how old I am. <laughs> Uh, you know but you know it's it's but it, it, that was what it was like i mean unless 
um, you got newspapers that sometimes carried the results of the classics. And again, going back to the 1980s in, in the UK, there were a couple of the broadsheets that would maybe print the results of the classics if you were lucky. But otherwise, you had to wait a week until you found out what, what happened at the weekend. So on a Thursday, Cycling Weekly would come out. And it, it generally... You'd find out then who won Paris-Roubaix yeah. or Liège, Bastogne-Liège. You'd have to wait, uh, you know, a full week. And um, and obviously, in the glossy magazines, like Winning Magazine, used to come out every month for you guys. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, we 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 got we consumed our information differently, but the, the memories uh, are great. And and it's those memories, isn't it, that kind of that kind of bind you to the sport. And the, the more you kind of think back about how beautiful riding a bike is, that kind of yeah. I don't know, it, it brings you even tighter to a sport that we already love. And just looking at this picture of you. I think it's a cross between, if you don't mind me saying, Eric, a grimace and a smile, because you can just see the line like 10 <laughs> feet away. <laughs> Did you give it the two arms or was it a, was it a one-arm uh, punch? Yeah, I, I definitely had time <laughs> to raise both my <laughs> And I, uh, I, had, I, got, I received a, a, a framed photo of that finish from the owner of the Richard Sachs team. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Richard Sachs, actually. Right. He's uh, he's someone. Um, he's really funny because he's actually an investor in Zwift. Right. So I mean, the, the social connection I still have with the sport just goes back so far, and this is why cycling is such an important part of my life. It's not just about the sport, but yeah. the people I've met along the way. I I'm still connected with them. Yeah. No. It, it, same with me. It is um, they're bonds that are kind of almost unbreakable. I mean, you might I might not speak to some people for a number of years but when i do connect and it's generally a bike race or an event somewhere um it's like no time has passed at all um yeah, and i often wonder matt if that's something really unique to cycling or if other sports have the same the similar type of social connections um i think maybe rowing might be similar as well but um you know i don't know if, if that's true of other sports yeah I, I think like you say it's the sense of camaraderie i think whatever you end up doing you know, in cycling, and let's be honest, the vast majority of people that start out riding their bikes, whether it's to work, to school, just to just to keep fit, they end up competing. You know, only a tiny, tiny percentage of those people, Eric, as we know, end up being pro. You know, right. but it still binds you together. But whatever level of the sport you're at, you, there's so much to enjoy yeah. about cycling, and I think that's what binds you together. Because pretty much all of my memories, there's a lot of suffering memories. Because because as you, as you kind of just pointed out a few moments ago, that. You kind of need to need to know where you are in the grand the grand scheme of things if you're aiming to be a pro, and you need to be a realist, don't you? So there's a lot of suffering in the sport, but there's also a tremendous amount of joy, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, you have to the the, the sacrifice you have to make just to have one of those moments is incredible, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's such a commitment, and, and that's not for everyone. No, um, no definitely. But you know, maybe cycling is different because we can all still ride a bike. Yeah. You know, we can't all play football or or cricket or, you know, the, 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 the you know, larger team sports are just harder to, to organize. I, um, I think you're right. And I, and I do feel, Eric, like at an accelerated rate. I mean, Zwift is one of the reasons I think obviously we've got it's got an enormous community. But um, the kind of entry, the barriers to entry to cycling are yeah. uh, this. It's far more open than it used to be, although it's always been quite an accessible sport, I think. I remember being a rider and in a in a club, and if anybody new came along, sometimes we wouldn't be overly kind of welcoming. They'd almost have to go through rites of passage and be able to keep yeah. up. Whereas yeah. nowadays, it doesn't really happen anymore, thank goodness. But um, I'm, I kind of dread to think how many people we lost back in the days to, because we were a little bit too elitist, you know. Um, yeah. but, but now, 
it's just lovely to see so many different people from all different walks of lives with different kind of ideals and ideologies and different things they want to get out of the sport coming to it and loving it in their own way. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, the, the, um, without clubs and, you know, hopefully there's a resurgence of, of concept of clubs, um, because yeah, you need to, you need to have those, um, grassroots clubs to support communities. Um, otherwise it is just hard to kind of navigate, um, you know, bike racing, for example, I mean, without my local club, I would never have gotten into bike racing. Yeah. And it's great to, to see that kind of support, even here in the Cotswolds, um, I came across a, a real wonderful club called the Cotswold Cycles uh, Club, okay. and um, just really welcoming. Um, and I just I'd forgotten what it's like to meet random people in the real world and go for a bike ride together. It's great. It's awesome. It, it is very very cool indeed, mate. Well, what I want you to do right now then is again go back in time a little bit, um, yeah. and just tell me. At what point? I mean, I, I do know the answer to a lot of this stuff because we've known each other for a while now. Um, but a lot of people will be listening in with interest and and will be asking the question, I'd imagine, why Zwift? What, when did this kind of thought, idea enter your mind and how ultimately did you end up executing it? Yeah, um, so I had spent my professional career building... Um, you know, experience and skills around finance, banking, trading, um, software. And so after my last business uh, called Sakana Technology, um, you know, when that ended, uh, I realized, well, first, first of all, I realized I'm not employable. I've been on my own for so long. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'd probably have to start another company uh, in order for, me to be back in the workforce and my wife um, would not let me just stay at home do nothing um so i started to think about like what are what are what are the different opportunities out there um what i from a business perspective is important that it was um uh, you know internet related it was delivered um as a service um it was global I and mean, largely we, we'd be a software company so that was like those were the tenants right those yeah, are the pillars sure. of like what a business had to be and then the question was like, okay, which problem are we going to solve? Yeah. And so I started going on lots of bike rides actually to think about what what you know what are the opportunities out there. I looked at things like um, you know what if we made it easy for people to just go to a hotel and rent bikes. We I, so I looked into hospitality. Yeah. But you do the math, it just didn't add up. So pass on that. Okay. I looked at, uh, you know, the medical field. I looked at the healthcare field. I looked at the educational field. So super broad spectrum. You were looking at like a real global kind of view. Yeah. I just yeah. said, okay, let me just, you know, think about it. The last thing I wanted to do was think about cycling. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because I probably find myself in a trap, um, yeah. over-invest, under-deliver, and then it turned into a hobby, right? A, a money-losing hobby. A kind of labor of love almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was the last thing I wanted to do. But what I was doing during that period was riding indoors quite a bit. And that's because, you know, I live in, in London and, and getting out was just incredibly, um, uh, you know, riddled with friction, whether it's the weather or the, the, the traffic that you'd have to deal with. I mean, for me to get to where you live, it would take me almost an hour. Yeah. In like crappy, right. you know, crappy riding conditions. So, 
I'd have, you know, who has five hours or four hours in a day to go out to, you know, have some nice roads. So I was riding indoors quite a bit and just knocking out the workouts and just realized how dull this experience is. And, you know, I've been doing indoor cycling or, you know, turbo training, uh, you know, all my life. <clears throat> because that's, the, that's what you do, right? As a cyclist. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did so much as it, when I was, was training, even, even as a pro, a, a big proportion, maybe t- t- upwards 25, 30%, Eric, of my training as a, as a domestic pro and also when I was abroad was was on the turbo, you know, pre-Zwift, and it was brutal, but it was effective, <laughs> but brutal and boring. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, that's the one thing that everyone can agree, like indoor cycling is super effective, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but what it is, is it's, it's not very social. It's, it's, it's not entertaining um, and it's not communal. It's, uh, it's not fun. Uh, so I thought, you know, what if we could just try to replicate some of those social um, experiences that we all love about, you know, outdoor riding. So for example, your Sunday rides, right? You know, yeah. I used to look forward to the Tuesday sprint sessions at SUNY Purchase. This is in New York. Yeah. And then the Thursday interval sessions. And on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, we do these organized rides that were 50 miles long. And I just live for those rides. I think yeah. I enjoy training probably more than racing. Right. Um, and so I thought like, what if we could just try to replicate some of those habits Okay. You know, and, and, and it's, you know, so we develop an experience that ha- would have to be a, a 3d world yep. in MMO. And if we can just be like 70%, 80% of what it's like to be outdoors, that so those social elements of so build a whole experience anchored around social connection. Yeah. You know, it would, it would be why people keep showing up because there are other people there. And you could do a variety of things and it'd be super convenient, super accessible. Um, and you could be as competitive as you want it to be, right? Yeah. Or it could be as social as you want it to be. So that was sort of the, the concept. And it was, we actually thought about doing running first. Okay. Uh, you know, out of the four of us, um, you know, two of us are really like the cyclists. Um, and so we said, you know, let's go with cycling because I have, you know, deep network in cycling. I can get to, you know, various brands that still, um, you know, that probably would support us like Pinarello, like Rafa. Yep. You know, these were, these were the, the brands and, and Wahoo. These were the brands who we launched our, our business back in, you know, 2014. Uh, but that was the idea. And I, I kicked it around with my, my long uh, time partner who is not even a cyclist. And he, he just really liked the idea of, of building something that was, had some social impact, right? Yeah. What the mission behind Zwift was like, let's build something that would, you know, encourage people to, to be active because it would solve so many problems. I know for me personally, fitness just brings me happiness, yeah. right? It brings balance in my life and it's good for the body. It's good for the mind. It's good for the social connections. Um, and we thought like, let's, I, I think it'd be, it'd be a great business. It yep. could be big, um, I think we do good for the world. Um, it, you know, we're working directly with consumers. It's a hard business in, in that respect. Yeah. <laughs> Versus like dealing with, you know, corporate clients, I think the easier, tougher sale. But once you have them, it's, it's much easier to manage. Um, but yeah, so th- we just like the whole idea of doing something that had social impact. We'd be a mission-driven company. And, you know, the people we, I spoke to, whether it's partners, investors, in, in, you know, s- staff, um, sorry about that. It's okay. Um, 
uh, they just love the idea that we would do something good for for society. Um, and so, yeah, we said let's let's do this. And my partner and I, we we funded it, and we got to um, you know, I guess the summer of. Uh, uh, 2014 started courting investors. These were really all my friends and family, um, and we decided to launch um, our largely our beta product at Rafa. I don't know if you were there for that, Matt. Mate, was- mate, I was there. You asked me to come along and host it with. Well, that was embarrassing. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Eric. See you next week. Uh, <laughs> no, it was. Uh, it was September the thirtieth, twenty fourteen, and you, it was yeah, a, okay. it was a San, San Francisco, London, and New York. It was yeah, it was yeah. quite a stress. It was a great evening, but to make it all hook up um, was quite um, a logistical challenge. But it, it, we, we got it. You, well, we did it, didn't we? It was good. Yeah, no, it was. <laughs> I thought it went pretty well. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. You know, um, but uh, I remember telling investors, and these were largely my friends, like, look, if you haven't invested, bring your checkbook because you'll want to invest after this launch. And, um, you know, we, we, um, yeah, we, we raised $7 million from my friends and family. Wow. Uh, and uh, they've done, they've all done pretty well from an investment perspective, but mostly they just love being part of the journey, you yeah. know, uh, seeing, going from nothing to, to where we are today. So it's been, it's been a fun ride, but it's been seven years. It's gone so quickly, isn't it? And I, mean, I, look, I look back, I, I remember, um, I remember you sending me uh, before the launch, a couple of months before the launch, uh, a couple of PDFs. You said, you rang me up out of the blue and I'd never spoken to you before. Um, and we had this conversation and you said, I've got this idea. Well, it's not, it was more than an idea then it was in its beta phase. And, and you said, you, do you want to, we've got this launch kind of penciled in. I said, well, well, what is it? Can you kind of explain it to me? And I and, and you and you did, and I was still couldn't fully get my head around it. Then you sent me these PDFs, and I remember reading it. And I thought, "Wow, this is amazing!" You know, especially having spent so much time <laughs> on the turbo <laughs> trainer, staring at a breeze blocks and a tumble dryer. You know, over the years, so yeah. I was kind of grateful. But um, but it is amazing when you look back over the last seven or eight years, Eric. It's incredible, you know, where it's come. Uh, it's all the all the additional worlds, obviously the massive community that that you've kind of you've fostered um and it's it's grown incredibly when you stand and look back now at the last kind of seven or eight years how do you kind of feel um are you have you got a sense of satisfaction do you, are you think there's more that there's clearly more that you i know that you want to do um yeah. but how do you kind of perceive and look back on the last seven or eight years of zwift yeah i i think you know i think we've the the world was ready to you know uh, be part of this virtual world. I mean, you know, Facebook was already 10 years old and it was just a matter of time that people would engage online and, and through fitness. Um, so uh, from a tech perspective, and I think uh, from a society perspective, they were ready to, to engage this way yeah. um, in, in some sort of physical activity. Um, for, for me, I mean, you know, my ambitions are probably way greater than what we've delivered so far. I mean, I think that's probably normal for most entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's taking a lot longer than I expected. For example, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but having said that, I think um, you know we we're definitely onto something that's really you know um, re- really powerful. Um, I think there's a lot of of scope for us to to do more for the community. 
um, you know, just we have a long list of things that we want to deliver on. And, you know, I believe that this brand, the, the kind of experience that we're creating, it's just going to last for decades. Yeah. It's, you know, and we're really at the beginning of, of this journey. Um, and this is, you know, we're getting into the hardware business and that's no secret now. And part of that is just to make it easier for that, you know, that, that next cohort of customers who might not even have an outdoor bike and they just need a very easy way to buy Zwift. And yeah. this is, that's the problem that we're trying to solve for because it is still very much, um, you know, for the cyclists. Yeah. But there is a big world out there who who like, I think, the kind of experience that we have to offer. They yeah. just can't be bothered with all the, you know, all of the fuss that goes with the hardware. And so we're trying to solve for that. I'm going to I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Eric, just briefly. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I know you're you're quite, you know, for a CEO, you're kind of relatively active on social media, you know, fielding some comments and and as well as a lot of love. Zwift, like many big companies, gets its fair share of, of people who kind of are very vocal. Um, but what would you say to somebody who says, because we get it all the time, and obviously my wife Holly works on social media, she sees a lot of the kind of um, negativity that you sometimes get. But what would you say to somebody who said, oh, just tough enough and ride outside? What would your, if you could face one of these people face to face, just have a conversation, just some reasonable discourse, which I think is a thing that we're kind of lacking these days. It's very easy to be ridiculously emphatic and, and less nuanced but what would you say to somebody who said oh just toughen up and ride outside how would you sell Zwift to that person <laughs> what's what's great is uh i don't have to do anything the community will speak <laughs> oh, oh no it does self-regulate but but if, if you kind of had to mate what would be your what would words would you use because i've done it before I've, I've kind of chimed in because um just on my own own account, because uh, people are entitled to their opinion. But I think you know people should try something, and, and I think people are kind of frightened of things. You know, especially dyed in the wool kind of old school people. And I, I and I'm quite dyed in the wool and old school, but I'm also quite progressive in many ways. You know, yeah. I, I hold dear, I, as you quite clearly do. I hold dear the old days of racing on a steel bike, going out with the mates. But we Zwift isn't replacing that; it's augmenting it. It's kind of just giving it. You know, it's bringing more people into our world, really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, let's be let's be honest. Out, there's nothing that can replace outdoor riding. Yeah. Um, and I think what Zwift is doing is just helping you to augment, you know, those the, your your cycling. Um, and, you know, we did a little bit of research. You know, those who who Zwift actually end up riding more outdoors because they're fitter, right? And you have more fun outdoors. Um, but yeah, there are going to be a small minority who are just diehard, and these are they tend to be Strava, hardcore Strava users who don't want, you know, anyone to mix their virtual riding with, with, uh, outdoor riding. Yeah. I don't, I don't really understand why they get so worked up about it because at the end of the day, if people are burning calories and getting fit and having fun, I mean, why would you want to, um, you know, poo poo that idea? Yeah. It's just, I, I, I don't get it, but you're right. It does self-regulate because there's plenty, plenty of people who will, um, you know, kind of defend, you know, any form of exercise should be, um, uh, should be championed and should be uh, celebrated. Uh, you shouldn't have to knock down people who are, you know, riding indoors because their circumstances allows them to do that more than, you know, riding outdoors. Exactly. And I think one of the most interesting flip sides and something that I think, yeah, could be put even pushed a little bit more, Eric. Is you know, you're champion riding indoors, champion 
you know, champion people coming together as a community, connecting people all over the world, different time zones, different yeah. cultures. It's wonderful. But also, you know, Zwift do champion the road as well because you've got the Zwift Academy, which is one of the most amazing things mm-hmm. to come out of Zwift, aside from the community itself. But the Zwift Academy has been a massive success, hasn't it? And we've, we've got... We've got riders in in the the World Tour peloton now riding today in the tour in the Tour of Turkey. We've yeah. got uh, newly minted. We've got I think it's four four or five years now. We've had um, the Canyon Tram uh, Academy, which has been a runaway success and just shows that it's not just about riding indoors. You are encouraging people to get out and ride their bikes, aren't you? And you must be really proud of the Zwift Academy. Yeah, I mean, I remember um, you know um, coming up with the idea because uh, GT Academy was something that was modeled after and very very early days before we we decided to move forward with it i spoke with the production company that that uh uh, made the gt academy uh, which is gran turismo academy so we modeled it after that we spoke to them and um you know after many years we actually hired the same production company to help us deliver that last year yeah which was uh which was fun but yeah i mean the idea that we can create these opportunities for individuals who who can you know who we can spot through Zwift uh, the talent and then create these opportunities for them to go to Europe and race with the best I mean the the storytelling is what we're after right um, and to to be able to live vicariously through these through these ambassadors and athletes is something that um, I look forward to I mean it, it it gives me so much joy to to be able to support this program and I think it's going pretty well and there's more we can do. Um, but I mean, you can tell after a few years, the talent is getting just incredibly, um, you know, up-leveled. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, so. you're casting the net, I mean, increasingly wide, aren't you? I think there was the last time we did it, there was, I think across both men's and women's academies in terms of riders just registering to go onto the program. And of course we know that many of those know they won't get the contract, but they've got a structured workout to get them a little bit fitter which is the kind of hook, isn't it? Then ultimately, from the elite perspective, there's this process that at the end of the day rewards two individuals with, with a life-changing opportunity, which is, which is amazing. And um, uh, I think looking at the Canyon Shram, the women's team, I think, I think the start of last year, there was, I think it was near a quarter or nearly a third of their team were made up of Zwift Academy winners because yeah. they hadn't just got a one-year deal and then got binned off. They basically yeah. were were proven um, and had gone on to and, and are still riding with the team, although they've, they've been on the team for, I think Ella Harris, for example, from New Zealand, yeah. wonderful character, has been on the team. This is season three for her, <laughs> which is yeah. great, isn't it? She is, she is legit. And it's interesting, we've gotten so many uh, uh, athletes from uh, you know Australia and New Zealand, um, I don't know why. <laughs> uh, maybe it's because they, you know, you know, when we're doing the academy, it's their summer, so their peak of uh, fitness. Maybe that's part of it, or maybe it's because they're, you know, these are real opportunities for those folks down there, right? They they don't have easy access to Europe, um, but yeah, I'm, it's it's super exciting to see these athletes come through the the program, and I I think among the pro peloton. Zwift Academy is not a joke. I mean, no. we're finding real athletes now. Yeah, and I'm just looking at the lineup. You've got the Tour of Turkey going on at the moment. Um, obviously, you see Mark Cavendish, you know, yeah. a real uh, Zwift fan, winning those three stages. But Amazing. from a Zwift perspective, we've got young Jay Vine, who's part of the Alpecin Phoenix team, running his first race. Obviously, he couldn't, unfortunately, do Catalonia because of the, the COVID restrictions. But he's now in Turkey, 
having come across from Australia, uprooted himself, living in Girona, and now he's there right, racing against some of the best riders in the world, and his life has been changed. Now, I had a little interview with him the other day for the World of Zwift show, and it was quite joyous, actually, you know, just to, to see how much this opportunity has meant to him. I mean, he's a classy bike rider anyway, but if it hadn't been for the, for the Zwift Academy, he wouldn't be there at Turkey now living his dream, which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I love that. Yeah, so we, uh, we want to do more with Zwift Academy and, um, you know, we want to tell that story. And, you know, I think we can do more to track these athletes over the course of a season. Um, obviously, last year was a very difficult year for bike racing, but... Um, let's hope that, you know, bike racing is back on track for, for the rest of this year. And then, you know, next year it should be really, you know, back to the way it used to be. I yeah. Hope. I mean, talk, I mean, that was a kind of good segue into, if we go back in time again, just to last year, 2020 was, was, you know, was hard for everybody. Um, but Swift did emerge as a platform that did enable the cycling yeah. community again to connect. And then it allowed, professional teams it gave professional teams that additional exposure because they weren't racing in real life and we had obviously the world championships that was already planned later in the year then we had the virtual tour de france i mean from your perspective eric how how do you look back on 2020 i mean from a business perspective it, it was great um but there are a few people that said i was with kind of profited from people's kind of misery i don't agree with that i think it was a pre-existing platform that actually enabled people to carry on with their lives um mm-hmm. so for, and i know it was a re- ridiculously busy year for Swift, but from, yeah. through your eyes, Eric, how was 2020? Um, because it must have been challenging in so many ways, although rewarding in many ways as well. Well, no, definitely business, digital businesses like, like Swift benefited, um, but it was a tough year for us. Mm. Um, when you have over 300 people working remotely, you know, overnight, um, that took a, a big adjustment. Then we hired 150 people on top of that, all remotely, and it, it was really, really tough. Um, so, uh, you know, what it did do for the business, though, is just brought more people um, to, to try Zwift, which was great. Um, and I think, you know, what we're finding is that people are, um, you know, it, it just accelerated our business. Um, I think we would have, those customers would have come to Zwift eventually. Yeah. It's just there was a reason for them to, to join Zwift earlier. Um, so yeah, it, it was a tough year and like a year, almost a year lost in many ways because yeah. we couldn't invest in the business the way we wanted to, because we were literally just keeping, keeping the lights on to make sure that everyone, um, was supported, you know, keeping, keeping the system up 24 seven was, uh, was the priority for us. And then we did the virtual tour de France, which was an opportunity of a lifetime, um, and that was done on such short order, which put a lot of pressure on Zwift. Um, and so we never had a book last year. We usually, we usually take you know step back a little bit and start building for the following year. Yeah. Um, and we just didn't have that opportunity because of of the Tour de France. Um, so, but you know, net net, it was it was uh, it was good for Zwift. Um, stressful for for the staff. And we're finally like, you know, catching up and catching, you know, catching our breath and planning now for the, for the future. I mean, how did you, I know that we'd had conversations about some of your ambitions a few years ago when we were again, out riding in real life, that amazing day we did uh, on Montbon 2. And I, I got the email from you guys to say, oh, Matt, do you want to come along? And I was like, of course I do. This will be brilliant. Um, we're going to ride up Von 2. I thought, okay, ride up with Montbon 2, then have a nice meal. And then when I got there, I found out it was 
it was three ascents of Mont Ventoux, too. So that's <laughs> so I remember <laughs> suffering with you, mate, uh, on the last ascent of Ventoux. I don't think I've, I've, I've that's got to be in my top three. I mean, I wasn't as fit as I'd have liked to have been, but that was an epic day. But there were conversations then about what you wanted to do in the future. I remember over a glass of wine, but um, although held in difficult circumstance, it must have been quite a proud moment to have hooked up with the with ASO and and, and yeah. seen that virtual tour de France. I mean, because you talk about the logistical issues of, of working, whatever business you've got, you know, working in lockdown, but to coordinate 100 riders, all with picture in picture, all with GoPros, all wired up, all racing, different altitudes, different time zones. Um, it, w- it was quite an amazing feat. And, it, and, and we, I think we, I think we, and I commented from, from where I'm doing my podcast now, you know, in my loft, you, you must have been, you must look at, look back on that uh, with, with, with immense amount of kind of proudness and fondness, really, Eric. I mean, you realize there was so much risk on the line, right? Mm. Brand risk. Like if, if it didn't go well, it, it would, it oh, would God, have been yeah. bad for, for Zwift. It would have been bad for ASO. Um, so uh, we were just pleased that everything went uh, as, as smoothly as, as it could have. Um, so, yeah, no, it, it, it was a great opportunity. And, you know, to be able to showcase both men and women, same distance, same, you know, um, uh, same, yeah, same distance and same uh, uh, broadcast coverage was a real moment for, for women cycling. Mm, yeah. um, so that, that's part of a commitment that we've made is whatever we, you know, do something with uh, the pro peloton, we, we need to, there has to be equality between, you know, in terms of prize money, in terms of distance, yeah. um, in terms of broadcast coverage. So, uh, you know, we're hoping that we're helping to uh, support that, that message. And, and, you know, it, it's great to see women's uh, professional cycling uh, being elevated and being supported, seeing more broadcast coverage. And, you know, frankly, I think women's racing is super exciting. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, we're, we, we were pretty pleased with how things went last year from, from that perspective. Um, then we had the world championships, which was also great. And, you know, getting back to your point about doing things remotely, I see no reason why we wouldn't continue to have world championships all done remotely. I think it works well. Um, it's logistically in many ways easier than to yeah. ask someone to fly to one location. Yeah. Um, so I could see that happening going, going forward. And, and, you know, our work with ASO isn't done. There's more to be, I think, announced. Um, there'll be some big news coming out in the next month or so. Wonderful. Um, and um, there's news that, um, you know, very soon, I don't know when this podcast airs, but it might break before this, but uh, there'll be big news with, with the with the, the IOC as well. Okay. Um, There's just general support from the highest level of sport. Yeah. What Zwift represents, which is athletic esports. Yeah. You know, and it, it's about accessibility and mass participation. It's about connection, you know, social connection. So we check a lot of those boxes and, you know, those are all important um, part of our DNA. Um, so yeah, now we're, we're pretty, we're pretty pleased with the progress we've made there, but you know, there's a ton of things that we can continue to do from a product perspective, from a content perspective, from a hardware perspective. And that's why that, that's what's so exciting about what we're doing because there's just so much more we know we can build. Well, we'll touch on those in a few moments, Eric. We're kind of we're well into the pod now. What I, we generally do, well, I generally do about halfway through. And I, I can't remember if I said I'll do this. We have 
a a quiz, a small, a short quiz for you. And it's your home. What well, it's your? Well, you, you were brought up in Seoul, weren't you, in, in South Korea? Yeah. Um, I, so what I'm going to do now, Eric, is test your knowledge on Seoul. The Seoul quiz. The Seoul quiz. Now it's time. The Seoul quiz. Okay. So, but don't worry because it is a multiple choice oh, quiz. Okay. okay? So don't, so please don't, I'm not going to put you on the spot and um, I, I know I wouldn't like to do that. So it's a multiple choice quiz and I have four questions, all of which have multiple answers. So uh, worst case scenario, Eric, you just, you can just guess. So here we go. Question number one, are you comfortable and ready? Yes. Good. Okay. The Seoul capital, uh, the Seoul capital area contains how many UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Okay. So there are several UNESCO World Heritage Sites around Seoul. Are there A, three, B, four, C, five, or D, six? So how many World Heritage Sites are there around the capital of South Korea? Six. There are five, unfortunately. Five. Uh, Sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a chance to redeem yourself, Eric. For a bonus point, uh, name any one or two of them. Can you name any of them? Um, it's uh, it, There are uh, main gates into the city of Seoul. Yes, indeed. Uh, and uh, I, I think there's the West Gate, I think it's called. Um, and then there's the... Yeah, there are three or four main gates. Okay. Uh, I don't know the exact name, but... I'll, I'll I, give you that. All I'll, historic sites. I'll give you that. Because, of course, uh, back in the day, the it was completely walled, wasn't it? It was an mm-hmm. ancient wall that ringed the entire city back in um, many, many thousands, well, thousands of years ago. And that, that wall was obviously taken down quite well, relatively recently. Okay, so you've redeemed yourself with the bonus point. <clears throat> we move now on to question number two. Okay, a more contemporary question, this one, Eric. You'll be pleased to know. Um, question two. What is the tallest building in Seoul? Is it A, the Gangnam Finance Centre? Is it B, the Samsung Tower Palace? Is it C, the Lotte World Tower? Or is it D, the Namsang Seoul Tower? Hmm, that's a good one. Um I know Lotte was the tallest. It must be Lotte. It is Lotte. Correct, Amondo, mate. <laughs> Good stuff. And uh, for an extra bonus point, which will give you a little bit of insurance if you get later questions wrong, um, it's one of the tallest buildings in the world, but in, it's in the top 10, top 10 uh, buildings in the world. What position does it hold for a bonus point? <laughs> wow, top 10. Uh, it's probably... Um... It's probably the third. It's the fifth, oh, but okay. not too bad. But, but it is an astonishing 555 meters tall. So there you go. Half a kilometer. That's a tall building. That is a very, very tall building. In I was actually there last, last year. All right. Okay. Okay. Do you, Crazy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's yeah, quite, a, quite a building. Right. Question number three. And this is on a slight, slight tangent, but I, I found it a really interesting question. <laughs> right. Which country, Eric, replaced South Korea with the fastest mobile cellular download speed in 2020? 
So basically, um, South Korea for quite a long time had the fastest mobile download speed, but one country beat it, okay? And that was recorded in May 2020. Was it A, Japan, B, the Netherlands, C, Norway, or was it D, Canada? Um, I would imagine it's Norway. It was Canada. Really? Incredible. Oh, and I looked at that stat. I tell you what, I've, I've been down an internet wormhole to find that information for you, Eric. I tell you. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, that, that's shocking. Actually. It is shocking. But, uh, <laughs> but, but South Korea are still in second position, uh, a couple of megabits behind. Okay, the final question on the Seoul quiz is this. And you'll have to excuse my pronunciations, but I'm going to do my very best, all right? Okay, Eric, what is the oldest continually running market in Seoul? Okay, is it A, the Dongdaemun or the Tongdaemun market? So that's, that's the same market, but it has a different name. Is it B, the Namdaemun market? Is it C, Myindong? Or is it D, the Yongsang market? So which one of those markets is the oldest continually running market in Seoul, which is still trading today? Uh, uh, this, uh, what was the second one? The second one is the Nam Damon market. Oh, man. It might be that one. Correctamundo! Well done! <laughs> was that... Oh, a round of applause. Uh, that's... Yeah. You know... I have to say, I left Korea when I was seven. Oh, so you're doing it right I, now. Yeah, when I left Korea, my neighbor lived in an army tent, and we had dirt roads. When I went back in the 80s, it was a completely different place. Okay. You know, okay. skyscrapers, and uh, it, it's just Korea has, ch has changed so much over the years. Um, but when I do go back, and I do every couple of years, I have a lot of family there, I do feel like a foreigner. In my right. right. <laughs> now, a, a, a lot has clearly changed, but it, yeah, one of the most progressive places in the world, isn't it? But um, but there we go. Well done. You did. Uh, let me just tot up the points. So you got one, two, three. You got four actually. But I think you're you're really helped by the bonus question. So well done, Eric. Great stuff yeah. there, mate. Brilliant stuff. Got it. I didn't completely embarrass myself. <laughs> you didn't. You you were you did yourself proud actually. But um, yeah, that took a lot of work on my part. Uh, not that I need a pat on the back. But, yeah, well um, done. But That's thanks good. very much indeed, mate. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> well, got to, we're moving back to um, back across uh, from Seoul. Um, what's what's the biggest thing that you've learned, Eric? Uh, in in your so well, actually, since you've been since you've been since you set up Zwift, what, what have you kind of learned about, about yourself? Um, huh, that's interesting. That's, I rarely have time to reflect. Right. Um, uh, so, you know, I think it, it's, it, it, ha I start to think about what I want to do and how I want to spend my time. Um, and, you know, work is a big part of that. Yeah. And so uh, if you have an opportunity to do something that has lasting impact, I mean, that is, that is super, increasingly, that is super important to me. And um, so it lines really well with the, the values and the mission of, of Zwift. I never had that kind of mission-driven, you know, profession leading up to Zwift. Yeah. You know, for, for, you know, over 20 years, I was working in this corporate world where it was about, 
trading and profits and um, yeah, had nothing to do with social impact. Right, right. So, uh, what I'm realizing as I get older and as I spend more time with with how important that is. Yeah. Um, and having, you know, leaving impact and leaving something behind for, for the world. Um, that is important to, to me. It's important to um, our team. It's, um, you know, I think this is important to society these days. No, that's no, and I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. To be perfectly honest, you, you can, although, you obviously, have share, shareholders to to kind of and investors to um, to kind of not placate, but to kind of reward. Ultimately, you you are leaving what ultimately will be a legacy, which which is connecting people all over the world. And I guess when you when you look back to when you started out, did you did you you must have had a particular vision, but, but does it kind of resemble? Does does what Swift is now? resemble the kind of vision you had seven or eight years ago or is it or is it a little bit different than you thought or is it, it is, pretty much bob on it is it is a bit different um i didn't expect the the community to come together so so strongly um yeah. and you know we don't have this highly curated brand that we just push on to our customers i mean our customers are creating their own brand within within zwift and so that you know that level of detail and understanding i just didn't have um but that's just you know happened over time uh and you know it's it's interesting to see this this community can constantly evolve some of them get retired and then new ones pop up and new people and 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 same people move to different communities it's it's fascinating to watch this you know the change that's happened within the community over the past few years i mean I'd, from the community side to the kind of tech side of things, I mean, I know your background isn't obviously you, you do have a tech background, but in terms of the creative, the kind of feel of the worlds, um, do you have much of an input? You know, I know the, your, the creative team work really, really hard to map out these amazing worlds, these increasingly uh, more detailed words, worlds that uh, have kind of links to the gaming, the, the, the gaming world as well, which is really important that the whole, as well as the community and the fitness side. You know, in the day and in the DNA of Zwift is is gaming too, isn't it? It's it's a fun yeah. a, and and obviously you've got the power ups and stuff like that. How much involvement do you have in in that creative side of things? Are you kind of hands off? I, I'd imagine you kind of are involved a fair bit, but what kind of involvement do you have from that side of things? So I'm I'm largely hands off, but I, you know I, I am probably one of the biggest internal customer right. of the product. So you know I. I you know, have the opportunity to give feedback, but we've got some really talented people who um, who are coming up with some really fantastic creative ideas. I mean, you know, there's a lot of thought and design that goes into Wattopia, as yeah. an example. Less so when you're talking about real-world maps because you're just largely replicating what already exists. But when you're coming up with you know, your own landscape, your own set of roads, and then gamification around that, that requires like a special creative team instead of designers yeah. um, to, to, you know, map it all out, right? And not just map out phase one, but like phase, across multiple phases. Um, so I, those guys are just so talented and so creative. And, you know, I, and, the, and the music that might go with the map, yeah. uh, and there's so much scope there, but... Um, I I still get goosebumps when I see the 
trailer and the music that went with the release of the Epic Mountain. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, uh, I, you know, I push my team to like, like I, we need to have those emotions come back yeah. when we launch new maps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I remember looking back, I mean, the first, I mean, obviously Watopia was the first world, but it was Jarvis Island. Where did the name Jarvis Island come from? That was that was when it was invite only, wasn't it? But where, where, where did, I'm intrigued yeah. to where the word, where you got the word Jarvis from. Yeah, so Jarvis is a real island, whereas Watopia is not, right? Yeah. Um, Jarvis is an island We just, in the South Pacific, and we decided to pick a map where there were no Strava segments. Right, so, okay. <laughs> so we said, let's take this island. We know it's in the South Pacific. We know it used to be an airfield during the World War II. Okay. I don't see any Strava segments, so we can own that, you know, piece of land. Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> that's why we decided to uh, pick that pick that location. And the number of people who contacted me, and I'm sure thousands of other uh, uh, Zwifters who are posting to Strava, like, why are you in the South Pacific? <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, I'm sure thousands of people got those, you know, those comments from their circle of friends who are following them on Strava. <laughs> but that was how people learned about Zwift yeah. early days. Yeah. Um, so looking, okay, the company now roughly kind of seven or eight year, years old. Let's let's go let's go forward in that amount of time. What do you what do you kind of envisage? I know you said you've got lots of kind of things to announce, which we kind of obviously have to keep a lid on. But yeah. in terms of the company and the way Zwift kind of looks and feels in another eight years' time, what are you hoping for over the next kind of decade or so, Eric? Um, we're we are hiring um, three hundred fifty people this year. Wow. Okay. Yeah, um, we have big ambitions around this business. Um, we think that, and we've done a fair amount of research, uh, that if we can simplify the hardware, all that you need to get on Zwift, yep. and create content that is relevant for you, regardless of the kind of uh, uh, customer you are, whether you're a hardcore cyclist to the softest of recreational cyclists, or you know someone who doesn't even have a bike, but, you know, find what we have to offer really interesting because it's convenient, because it's social, because it's competitive, because it's training, um, because you can discover things and get rewards for it. We think that's a huge opportunity. Uh, at global, um, you know, we think we can achieve many, many millions of, of customers who want to be part of this. So we are starting to make a down payment to to reach those goals over right. the next few years um and so yeah there's a lot of building left for us to do across you know simplifying uh by the way simplifying things is really hard it turns out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit of a paradox isn't it <laughs> yeah. yeah so we're investing a lot into simplifying everything messaging yeah. to content to how you get onto zwift with hardware um that's a big theme internally and uh you know also being able to localize uh you know the product into, into many different languages yeah we're not completely localized across you know the the top you know five or six different languages i'm talking about like training content it's only in english for example right sure there's, there's so much we could do there um so yeah we we're looking at this as a you know what do we want to be in the next um 
not even 10 years, in the next three to five years. Yeah. And that is a business that is not um, only catering to the cyclists, but anyone who identify themselves at, you know, with this kind of experience. And yeah. which, which I think will lead them to become cyclists. Yeah. Right. You might start on Swift, but eventually you'll go out and buy a real bike. You might even have experience with the, a brand, a particular brand virtually, and then want to have that brand affinity and then want to buy a specialized bike, for example. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is where, you know, working with brands, uh, the biggest brands in cycling um, and having partnerships and activation of the platform just makes so much sense, not only for us, but for those brand partners, because we're, we're bringing new people into the, the funnel of like potential cyclists. Yeah. I mean, how do you, my, my kind of final kind of questionnaire, it's been wonderful talking to you and understanding a bit more about the business, but also more importantly about yourself. But how do you, because it, because this is along with the, um, the partners who set the company up you know, seven or eight years ago, how, how do you kind of disentangle yourself from, from Zwift and kind of escape um, and just think about something else because you kind of obviously got your family. Um, but how do you, how do you get away from it all sometimes? Cause you must need that. And, and I know you're a very driven individual generally, obviously entrepreneurs are you, I know you've got this kind of freaky thing that I saw in the Zwift HQ a little while ago, your napping chair. So you just <laughs> snatch these minutes, which is another subject entirely, which, which let me describe it to you. It's like a dent. It's like a, like a dentist chair, a luxury dentist chair yeah. with a cover on it, isn't it? Which you you go in and, and kind of grab 15, 20 minutes to, to help you, which kind of buys you a bit more time throughout the day. That's, that, that's amazing. But aside from the napping chair, we'll have to try and find a picture of that to, to put on social when we, when we post this pod. But how do you get away and just try and breathe? And, and how do you do that, Eric? Because it must be quite tough. It, it is tough. And I, the, the, the time I have away is probably when I ride outdoors. Yeah, okay. Riding indoors, you know, I I come up with all sorts of ideas for the product and I'm kind of, it, it's distracting because I have to stop and make some notes and then get back on the, and, and ride. But when I do ride outdoors, particularly when I ride by myself, that's when I have quiet time. Okay. And so, you know, coming out to the Cotswolds and, and getting, you know, one or two rides outdoors is is my medicine because otherwise it is always you know, Zwift is on twenty four seven otherwise, right? Uh, so that's how I'm going to, you know, keep myself sane. <laughs> you get out on the bike a couple of times a week, and and find some quiet time for myself in a in a wonderful part of the world as well as we as we said at the top of the program. Um, hold on, there's a funny oh, Random can you hear that? Eric? Alert. Yeah, sorry, mate. There's a real oh, strange. What is that? It is right. time for a random question. Oh, uh, <laughs> sorry, oh, just bear with me. I've got this big suit, this old 1990s supercomputer in the corner of my loft, and I've just torn off this question from the random question generator, uh, which I, I am contractually obliged to answer you. I've, I've never asked you. I've never seen this question before, Eric. So can you just bear with us while I ask you? The random question generator question. Okay. Right. Okay, here we go, mate. Uh, well, there's two questions. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to ask you both. First up, what sport would be the funniest to add a mandatory amount of alcohol to? <laughs> so, again, 
I didn't write these. These are from the random question generator computer, which the guys at Sigma installed into my loft. Um, what would be the funniest uh, sport to add a mandatory amount of alcohol to, Eric? Well, you know, um, I was going to say you could do a, a pub crawl, but pub ride would be f- quite fun. It a little bit dangerous on, the, on a real bike, but maybe we could do that virtually and keep it safe. That would be, that would be very, very funny. What, what you'd need maybe is set upon Zwift, but rather than a, in, in, your, in your bead on, is beer or whatever, but you have a load of mattresses around it. So in case you do keel over, you'd fall over safely and a, and a bucket to throw up in maybe. That would be quite an interesting t- – I think lots of people would tune into that, you know. Well, imagine we have a, a badge hunting on Zwift. It's a pub ride. You have to get to like, you know, 12 different pubs on Zwift and you get a drink, a pint every, along the way or half a pint along the way. Oh, my God. That is something I think we need to set one of your teams off and sort this out. It will be a highly controversial, uh, but I think it might. I think it might just work. <laughs> it's safe, right? You know, yeah. fall off the bike. Exactly, and we, you know, we've uh, we've done we've done we've done worse. I like that. So the final random question generator, uh, random question for you, Eric. Before we wrap things up, it's been a lot of fun. This, um, which historical figure would you would you like to have a chat with, and why? Which historical? Okay, um, you know, I recently had um, uh, the Badger, a portrait of the Badger, um, commissioned. So you know that famous drawing of uh, Bernardino uh, um, sprinting with two Splendor guys. That's a yes. classic. Yeah, you can see his shoulder blades kind of poking up to the back of his jersey, can't you? Right, and the and the sponges, right? Yes, the, the, yes, yeah, yeah. Right. I had that commissioned, and it's now sitting in my gym. Okay. Uh, uh, TJ Eisenhardt in the U.S. He, he drew that for me, so I've 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 been meaning to like have a conversation with with him, you know, the Badger. Yeah. Uh, before he gets too old, but uh, he's someone that I've always admired, and you know why? Not only was a champion cyclist, but when he said he was going to do something. He just he just stuck to it. Mm. So he said he was going to retire at the age of thirty one or thirty two, and he did exactly that. He could have gone on to win another, you know, one or two Tour de France. Yeah, but he like I just love the the kind of personality um, he he has and the commitment and you know when he makes a decision he sticks to it. I something you know I admire that about him. So anyway, to to answer your question, he's someone that I definitely would like to. To have a conversation with, We'd, we'll have to try. And, we'll have to try and fix that up because I, I know he's quite. Uh, well, as you say, he's quite outspoken, but he's uh, he's a rider that I really ad- admire. And I was along, actually, Eric. I know we're going to go on a little bit longer, but he in 1996. And I might have actually told you this story over a glass of wine at some point. But I, I went to the Tour de France with my dad. We were on Alpe d'Huez when I was 16 years of age, and it was that amazing stage when Greg LeMond and Bernard Hinault both were both away. And Hino won the stage. Greg LeMond, I think, was in the yellow jersey. Hino in that iconic combine jersey. And um, that was the moment, looking at LeMond and Hino coming past me, um, I was in the Lavi Claire kit, which my mum and dad had bought me for Christmas. My, my I had mom, the kit too, by the way. Uh, yeah, it was just the best kit. And, and they weren't uh, knockoffs. It was the proper Santini stuff. So I think back then they were like £40 for a pair of shorts. 
Um, not with bibs, still in the early days, there was no bibs. Yep. But um, that was the moment when I wanted to, I decided in my, my little young mind that I wanted to be a pro. And I've always admired Bernard Hino. And I kind of, in my kind of style on a bike, I, I tried to emulate as best I could uh, a blend of Bernard Hino and, uh, and Greg LeMond. So uh, that would be cool to fix up, mate. Um, but yeah. he'd be a very, very interesting guy to, to speak to. And uh, it's been great speaking to you today, Eric. Thank you so, yeah. so much for uh, giving us your time and giving us a, an insight into your real world and to the virtual world as with me. It's been a real blast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. It's been and fun. Take care, mate. Catch up with you soon. Exciting times for Eric. I think you'll agree. What a huge year he has on the horizon and, of course, going forward in the years ahead. I mean, getting a puppy can be a life-changing experience. Thanks to Perry Apgwineth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you, as ever, for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to your cycling buddies or to the community on Zwift as you buzz around a fictional island in the South Pacific. Finally, a massive thanks again to Eric for joining us on the podcast today and sharing his story with us. Cheers all, stay safe. Goodbye and ride on.